Throughout the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys, he learned that the right response to God's word depends on the condition of people's hearts, just as Jesus said in the parable of the sower. Uh, like a seed, God's word falls into four places, the path, rocky ground, thorns, and good soil. These four places correspond to four conditions of the human heart, namely hard, shallow, crowded, and converted. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How? Guard your heart by guarding the places that invite the world into your being. Guard your eyes, guard your ears, guard your mind. Guard your heart because the right response to God's word depends on the condition of your heart. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. If it were a crime to share your faith in Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Hi, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to conflict. He proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever he went, and for that reason was beaten three times, thrown in prison three times, and stoned at least once. None of that stopped him from sharing his faith. Today, Ron takes us once again to Paul's life and ministry as he continues his teaching series, Paul, Surprised by Grace. Look for us online at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the program at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now from Acts 17, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, the right response to God's Word. Jesus was a master storyteller. We know that because uh, the four Gospels contain, I, I believe, about 38 uh, records of his parables. And because everybody loves a good story, uh, Jesus used parables to do two things. To sneak the truth into the hearts of those who would believe, and simultaneously to hide the truth from those who would not believe. That's, that's the beauty of a parable. It sneaks truth in, but it also hides it from those that, well, Jesus knew would not believe. One story Jesus told made such an impact that three of the four gospel writers recorded. I'm talking about the parable of the sower. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13 and verse 4, it goes like this. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And then Jesus adds, he who has ears... Let him hear. Now, in the parable of the sower, real quickly, there are three main characters. There's the sower, the seed, and the soils. Jesus is the sower, Jesus and his followers. The seed is the word of God. And, and the soils represent the various conditions of the human heart 
upon which the seed falls. Jesus explains all of this in the conversation that he has with uh, his disciples afterwards. Furthermore, Jesus said that the seed falls into four places. He said some seed falls on the path. Other seed uh, falls in rocky ground. Still other seed falls among the thorns. And then he says some seed falls on good soil. And these four places correspond to four conditions of the human heart, uh, namely a hard heart, that's the path, a shallow heart, that's the rocky ground, um, a crowded heart, that's the seed that falls among the thorns, we might say. And then there's the converted heart, that's the seed that falls on good soil. Simple story, isn't it? Have you got the understanding of it? Now here's what I want you to understand. The right response to God's word depends upon the condition of your heart. I think that's what Jesus is saying in the story. The right response to God's word depends on the condition of your heart. Every once in a while I hear somebody say, oh, I didn't get anything out of pastor's sermon. Oh, maybe that's on me. Maybe I didn't study well. Maybe I didn't deliver it very well. Maybe there was, you know, some distraction. Um, uh, you know, maybe it's on me, but maybe it's on you. Uh, how are you preparing your heart for the hearing of God's word? Is your heart hard? Is it, is it shallow? You know, as soon as you hear it, you're out the door and your, your mind goes to something else. Is it crowded by the cares of this world and you, you just don't have any room for what God has to say? Or is your heart good soil such that when the seed of God's word lands in your heart, it produces a spiritual harvest, which Jesus said, uh, some is a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. It's not gonna produce the same spiritual harvest in every person depending upon the condition of the heart. The right response to God's word depends on the condition of your heart. Now, I want us to keep the parable of the sower in mind as we continue on Paul's second missionary journey, because Paul and his missionary team are gonna to go to some further uh, cities, and uh, they're gonna share the word of God, and it's gonna land in people's hearts. By the way, they travel in chapter 17 of Acts to Thessalonica, then to Berea, and then to Athens. We're going to Athens today. What a, what a remarkable city this was and is. And um, when Paul brought the word to these places, people responded in various ways, depending upon the condition of their human heart. And how you and I respond today to the teaching of God's word will depend on the condition of our heart. Let's keep all of that in mind as we go first to Thessalonica. Travel with me to ancient Greece, to the city, well, today that's called Thessaloniki. I'll be there in just a few weeks with our Something Good Radio uh, tour group that is going on the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. We land in Athens and then take a short jump to Thessaloniki. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1 says, Now when they, that is Paul and the team, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. You gotta love you know, the way Paul just gets right after it there. And some of them, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. I take that to mean the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, 
And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and sent the, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now, less than 20 years after the earthly ministry of, uh, of Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul and his missionary team arrive in Thessalonica, which back then was a prominent seaport and capital of the Roman province in Macedonia. And, and Luke tells us in the book of Acts that for three consecutive Sabbaths, just for three weeks, the Apostle Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary, it was necessary for the Christ, that is the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead. And he said to them again, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Uh, Paul was doing all of this from the Old Testament Scriptures. Let's keep that in mind. The New Testament as we have it today was not in place. Remember that time he spent in Arabia and in uh, Tarsus, Paul's silent years, where he was connecting the dots. Now he was ready uh, to connect those dots from the Old Testament scriptures and to show people, even in Thessalonica, that the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, hey, it, it was prophesied that first he must suffer. He must suffer and die and pay the penalty for our sins and then rise again from the dead. Uh, many people responded positively to the gospel there, including uh, some of the city's leading women, devout Greeks, even some of the Jews. Now, not surprisingly, the Jewish leaders uh, had a different response. They grew jealous and they recruited, well, let's just call them some rabble-rousers, uh, some, some people from the rabble, and they formed a mob. The Bible says they set the city in an uproar and coerced a gospel sympathizer, a believer in Jesus named uh, Jason, who was uh, sympathetic to Paul and Silas in their ministry. Jason had invited them into his house, and the rabble-rousers found out about that, and they went to Jason's house hoping to draw out Paul and Silas. I read this, and I think about my experience in Chicago this past weekend with our, our daughter who was celebrating her 25th anniversary. Did you see the city uproar in the city of Chicago? Our hotel wasn't far from that. But we were in our hotel room at the time and got up and saw the news and, you know, any of that. But it was, uh, it, not, not much has changed in all these years, right? When people don't like something you're saying or doing, they set the city in an uproar. Get the rabble-rousers all roused up. And uh, this is what was happening in Thessalonica 2,000 uh, years ago. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Listen to Ron's messages on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, be sure to check out Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps. It's a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. Look for Something Good courses when you visit our new streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org. That's Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, where you'll discover what it means to be a disciple and learn how to train others to be true followers of Christ. Here in the 21st century, we may not worship 30,000 false gods the way the ancient Greeks did, but we have one idol in particular that's all too common. With the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, the right response to God's Word. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. When that did not work, the Bible says they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. 
shouting, these men, speaking of Paul and Silas and his missionary team, these men, listen to this, have turned the world upside down. Is anybody saying that about you, follower of Christ? That you're turning the world upside down because of your faith in Christ? Even that little part of the world that you're in or that I'm in? Uh, they turned the world upside down and have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. Of course, they had to come up with some accusation saying that there is another king and his name is Jesus. Yeah, Paul was proclaiming King Jesus everywhere he went. And because of that, he became known and they became known as men who were turning the world upside down. We need a few people today who can turn the world upside down because somebody's turning it upside down in a direction we don't need it to go. That's Thessalonica. They brought the word of God to Thessalonica and there was a mixed response. Some people believed, some people followed the Lord Jesus, uh, but others, others did not. They, uh, they, they rejected it. Uh, there was a, uh, a group that came <clears throat> there and, uh, well, Paul, Paul and Silas departed Thessalonica. Let's just cut to the chase. And at night, uh, they did so. They traveled to nearby Berea, where they went into the Jewish synagogue and found Jews who, uh, Luke says, were more noble than the Thessalonians. <laughs> what, what a description that is. The Bereans over here are more noble than the Thessalonians. Why is that? Well, Luke goes on to say, because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Uh, that's why the Bereans were more noble. They, they loved the scriptures. They didn't take Paul's word or Silas's word on face value. No, they, they went back to the scriptures and examined it. And I say all the time, you don't, don't just take what I say at face value. Don't just take what anybody says out there. Be a Berean and examine the scriptures yourselves to see if this is true. The way the Bereans eagerly received the word of God is proof that their hearts were like the good soil that Jesus talked about in the parable, right? That seed that fell on good soil and produced a spiritual harvest, some 100, some 60, some 30, you know, but it was a, a place of good soil. And I love the way the Bereans carefully examined the scriptures to verify what Paul was teaching. Uh, for this reason, every Baptist church I've known in 30 years of ministry has a Sunday school class called the Bereans. I think we even have one here, you know, because everybody wants to be a Berean, right? And examine the scriptures carefully. Later, Paul writes a letter to the Thessalonians. Actually, he wrote two letters to the Thessalonians. We know them as 1 and 2 Thessalonians in our New Testament. And in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, he commends the Thessalonians by saying, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Way to go, Thessalonians. Three cheers for the Thessalonians. And Paul could have said this and a whole lot more about the Bereans. So we go from a mixed response when they go to Thessalonica to uh, an eager reception of the word of God in Berea. And that brings us to verse 16 of chapter 17 and to the ancient city of Athens. Oh, Athens, Greece. 
There was a crowd of agitators who arrived in Berea and threatened Paul's safety, and some of the believers in Berea took Paul and got him to the coast as quickly as they could. Paul, uh, rather, Silas and Timothy remained in Berea, but Paul sent word back to them to come as quickly as they can to catch up to him in Athens. And that's where we pick it up in verse 16, where it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city that was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And you gotta love that about Paul, Everywhere he went, he preached the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. And now he comes to uh, this glorious ancient city, Athens, Greece, which when Paul arrived in Athens 2,000 years ago, it was still the university capital of the world. Uh, the influence of the great Greek philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, Sophocles, even Euripides, uh, the influence of these Greek philosophers remain. By the way, don't they have great names? I'd like to have like a name like Euripides, you know? <laughs> Pastor Euripides, wouldn't that be wonderful? I got Ron, okay. And their influence even impacts us today. I mean, 2,000 years later, um, the teachings and the philosophies of these Greek philosophers really, really set in motion Western civilization today and is still an influence. The golden age of Greece ended with the death of Alexander the Great in uh, 323 BC, almost four centuries before Paul arrived in Athens. But even in the first century, Athens was still full of art and beauty and culture and knowledge. And the Athenians were also had an insatiable thirst for religious superstition. Paul went sightseeing as any uh, you know, person would do when they come to Greece, and we'll do that in a few weeks. But he immediately noticed that uh, Athens was full of idols, Luke says. Historians estimate the, that the Athenians worshiped nearly 30,000 gods, each with their own statue, some with their own temple. An ancient historian named Petronius said it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. They were steeped in religious superstition. Paul took notice of this, and his heart was greatly disturbed by what he saw. On the one hand, the many idols indicated a God-given capacity for worship, but on the other hand, 30,000 false gods were evidence of how the Athenian, uh, their innate worship instinct was broken, it was mutilated, it was distorted. And you say, well, that was them. I, we're, we're not anything like them. Uh, we're more evolved. We're more sophisticated than the ancient Athenians were. Not on your life. It's just that our idolatry has changed a bit. We don't have graven images, or maybe we do. But we're, we're just as idolatrous. One of the false uh, things about history out there is this idea that people in ancient cultures weren't as smart, they weren't as sophisticated, they weren't as evolved as us. Uh, there, there's a wonderful Greek word for that. It's hogwash. It's just not true. These were brilliant people. The philosophers, 
are still influencing us today. I can't think of any teaching today, any philosophy today that's gonna to last 2,000 years. None, except the teaching of the Word of God. When you share the gospel, you will be rejected. Take a lesson from the Apostle Paul and share it boldly anyway, because we're not called to avoid the darkness. We're commanded to turn on the light. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, The Right Response to God's Word. To hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of Bible teaching from Dr. Ron Jones to help you in your journey with Jesus. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Some of life's greatest adventures take place on a road trip. Nothing is more enjoyable than traveling the open highway with the windows rolled down and the music turned up. Each town, each exit, an experience all its own. Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio, and today I'm inviting you to take a road trip with me. You see, I'm convinced that reading the Bible is the greatest literary adventure you can ever take. But with 66 books, two testaments, and more than 600,000 words, it can be a daunting journey to attempt. That's why I wrote my two-volume book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, where I give you a bird's-eye view of God's Word so you can clearly see how it all fits together. All 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So pack your bags and join me on The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. You'll be glad you did. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 Digital Library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, not only did you break this project up into two volumes, but you created what you call eight different road trips, five in the Old Testament and three in the New. Help our listeners understand the motivation behind this literary structure. You know, Brian, categorizing the various books of the Bible into eight separate groups is nothing new. Uh, they include the books of the law, the Old Testament historical books, uh, the wisdom books, the major prophets, the minor prophets, then we're into the Gospels and the early church, the Pauline epistles, and we finish up with the general epistles in Revelation. But when I first decided to compare the reading of God's Word to a travel adventure, well, it took me almost no time to come up with the phrase road trip to identify these eight sections of Scripture. Uh, what I believe the reader will begin to see a little more clearly is that the books of the law, for example, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ as much as the Gospels do. Now, that's because the Bible is one story with one main character. His name is Jesus, and he is the Christ. Uh, my hope is that by experiencing the 66 books of the Bible as eight separate road trips, uh, this overarching theme will be easier to recognize and understand. 
Such a great idea, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. Again, that's the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Both volumes are yours as our thank you when you give a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245. Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Guard your heart by guarding the places that invite the world into your being. How does the corrupt, immoral world around us come into our being? Through our eyes, through our ears, and through our mind. So as you guard your heart, you guard your eyes, you guard your ears, you guard your mind. That's next time in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Right Response to God's Word. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.